0: Brian Thompson made his theatre debut in 1971 when he designed a set and costumes for Jim Sharman's celebrated production of As You Like It for the Old Tote Theatre. The tribal musical Hair quickly followed, beginning a succession of iconic productions constructed for impresario Harry M. Miller. Brian designed settings for the original Australian and London productions of Jesus Christ Superstar and the Rocky Horror Show. He also designed the cinematic staple, the Rocky Horror Picture Show, a cult classic that continues to charm audiences today. In 1996, Brian Thompson was awarded the Tony Award for the Broadway production of The King and I. The production also played the London Palladium, having originated in Australia. The Thompson resume is considerable, recording a vast repertoire of work for stage, film and live performance. He has worked for many of the nation's major theatre and opera companies and in 1999 designed Kylie Minogue's intimate and live tour. He was a supervising designer for the Sydney 2000 Olympic Games also. A Brian Thompson design guarantees immediate transportation to the world of the play. His aesthetic is informed, unique and seductive. He's a prolific stage designer and it was our pleasure to record this episode of Stages and an extraordinary life in the theatre. I've done a bit of everything. You know, Olympics, um, little things, big
1: things, Broadway, West End movies all that so i've managed to float around in I, n- I never quite wanted to get caught in any sort of um you know stream i never wanted to um
0: to be confined to one no, no you know and who yeah. plays or yeah. Doing opera or, yeah
1: well when know. i was in london um for i was there eight years you you i was kind of you know weirdo musicals and religious musicals kind of thing you know and the, the number of unbelievably shocking um, you know, uh, musicals about Noah or this or that or weird science fictiony things. that I and, had re- and that's just
0: on the back of Jesus Christ Superstar I guess. and Rocky Horror. Yeah.
1: So yeah, 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 that's right. But that's where I was stuck. And when when I came back to Sydney, I came back to work with Richard. Richard Ware- Sy- where? Yep. Well, he found me. Oh, it was 1979, maybe. It was three in the morning. Oh, guess who's got the job at the Sydney Theatre Company? Oh, I don't know Richard. John Bell, not <laughs> me, <He's, laughs> Oh, I was joking and I want you to be an associate director. Oh, okay, well, well Richard, I'm, but I can't come, okay. and I st- said, I'll come in 1981, thinking that was far enough away to deal with and suddenly it happened and I came out.
0: So had you directed before, he wanted you as an associate director or yeah. would you be? Yeah. yeah
1: well, the, Well, the idea was that I would do some directing. Mm. But of course, as soon as I got here, basically, I was just, I had all these things I had to design, so there was hardly any, any time for that. And then there were meetings, and there were meetings about meetings, and, and Richard kept saying, well, "Why? you should be here all the time. I said, Richard, I'm designing two or three, and then I did i did operas and, and <laughs> Starstruck and things like that, and so I realised that there was, and an, I had a conversation, so I don't think I... I just don't fit into this structure where where I need to turn up and deal with all the issues of everything else. I'm quite happy to comment about stuff, but I don't really want to be involved in endless meetings about every other show or
0: every well, other thing. Your career is taking off as a freelance designer too, isn't it? So that you can go, you're a gun for hire, you can go anywhere Oh, you like yes. It. Well, at
1: that point, and i do not come up for a year. I was only, only come up for a year. I was going to go back. Um, to London I had an apartment and all that. And uh but then I realized that that over there there was this kind of little little box I was in, but here the,
0: the
1: I could do anything. Just a matter of deciding and that's what I did.
0: Well the industry was quite young here as well, I yeah. guess. Well that it? was eighty
1: one, so at yeah. least it was it was ten years on from seventy one when it was when it was nothing. I mean it was uh it was um Oh, we'll talk about this when we. Are oh, you recording now? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, okay. I don't want to miss anything. Oh, okay. <laughs>
0: well,
1: look, I tell you. Um, just the other day, I went um, up to um, Paddington to the Cooey Gallery just to look at the work of an artist called Michael Glashine. Do you know of no. his work, um, Mick? As I knew back in in, in the sixties, uh, he he was an architecture student and so was I and he dropped out and and did a lot of um he did did the he did the first pop art exhibition um and he and he was a follower of you know Buckminster Fuller and, and Marshall McLuhan and all that kind of stuff and I, I was in that sort of um in that kind of area as well I'd left architecture not knowing what to do but I you know I didn't want to be an architect I didn't want to be confined to sitting around in an office and do
0: that drawing at a table
1: well yeah and the um so when i went up there to look at mick's work mick went went he went to um at uluru and he became obsessed with all of that kind of world and his work is, is pretty fabulous but i also met a woman who was um the wife of um a guy called tom barber tom had been an architecture student as well and uh in 1968, I think it was uh, Mick was broke. Mick Lachine was broke. I was living in a, um, a derelict house on Underwood Street, um, owned by the, the architect Bill Lucas. Because back in those days in the 60s, you could buy a string of, you know, you could buy a line of, <laughs> if you had a couple of thousand dollars or pounds, whatever it was, you could buy half a dozen terrace houses. And he bought a whole half a street. So I was in one of those, waiting to be renovated, and um, then Mick Mick was broke, and I I was earning money f- working for uh, Frank Waters, based at the gallery. I used to do Frank's the invitations, <clears throat> and um, Mick lived in a fabulous little uh, old stables in just near Taylor Square. In fact, two hundred yards from where I now wow. live, right? and. Um, he he's he said i can't i can't afford to pay i'm gonna to have to leave and i said look if i pay you i'll help you out so i'll pay you all the back rent because i had this little bit of money and um he said oh look i, I want to go out to i'm going to go out of sydney you have the place so i had the place and my friend tom barber there was an old derelict de soto car right next to the the stables so he slept in that and he'd used the bathroom and stuff and he, he was with me, Tom was with me, <coughs> on the night that I met Jim Sharman. Anyway, Tom um, went on to become an architect, but he also created the first commercial wind farm in America. Wow. Um, and and then spent a whole lot of his life saving whales in Albany. And an am- amazing, amazing. Co- so his wife was there yeah. at this exhibition. And I hadn't, so that's, what's that? almost 60 years whatever so long and, and it was so kind of overwhelming to to meet these people that I hadn't I thought about them but I hadn't you know things just move so your paths don't cross
0: you all go in no, your no, own direction and,
1: and she was amazing and, I, and so I took me back to the to the very the, the time when um, we Tom and I went down to a um, a hamburger place on Oxford Street to get a hamburger and Jim was the Jim was doing hair at the time at um, in King's Cross at um, the Metro Metro
0: that was it called yeah the Metro, the metro yeah, 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 yeah and George he was George Miller's offices had just yeah, been there he just sold it yeah. yeah and then it became a
1: supermarket too for a while but he he um, Jim was with uh, what was his name uh, uh, a guy who was like the kind of production manager technical kind of manager for that production. Ian Cooksley, who went on to be production manager at the Melbourne Theatre Company ever, until he retired. Um, and Tom knew him, and it was through that that I actually met Jim. And Jim had heard about me. I'd had um, Daniel Thomas from the Art Gallery, um, who ran the Australian part of the Art Gallery, had written a few... Th- he started writing about these invitations I'd do for Frank Waters and he'd say, oh, the, the invitations are better than the, the exhibitions. So it was getting...
0: <laughs> <laughs> it was Who is getting that bit
1: embarrassing. And then, so I'd do things, I'd have dinner parties, and, and you know, we, we, we'd have um, all, it was all just cans without any, all cooked but no labels, so you just open up. And, and he came to all these things and started writing all these articles about me in the, in the Telegraph at that time. And Jim had seen that. So I, I had this little mini reputation and Jim said, why don't, have you ever thought of working in theatre? I said, no. Why? You Because know, to me, theatre was like, um, oh, bless his heart, Ron Hadrick in something out at the old Toad. It was like so far away from what I was remotely interested in. Yeah, very much that English tradition. Well, yeah, this, yeah, the kind of almost the English rep kind of mm. thing. I mean, i I'd probably being completely unfair and, and, and all that, but I had no interest. But what I did have, down the, just down the road, in fact, where, where um, Catherine Thompson lives, uh, was a Qantas pilot who lived in that house called Keith. And Keith used to bring back all the records. From, of musicals? Yeah, well, well, no, no just musicals. Just just, well, I wasn't just musicals. <laughs> no, he'd bring back things. But, that, I got Tommy...
0: Oh, okay yeah and Jesus Christ Superstar
1: and all those things before anyone else those
0: could. concept albums yeah, yeah those
1: concept albums and you know he'd come back and I'd go up and he'd say well oh, i got this pile and i would the new Rolling Stones the new this the new that and then and Tommy I was I loved Tommy so Tim Jim came to see me came found out where I was and came to see me and said look I'm going to be doing production of Tommy are you interested in that and I said sure I mean it seemed like well oh, That's not Ron Hadrick in All My Sons or you know Death for Salesman or something like that, Um, and so I came up with all these kind of ideas and I went down to Melbourne and it was going to be in in um, in uh, Harry Miller's little theatre called the Playbox. The Playbox, little tiny theatre on. Maybe it was on Exhibition Street or something. And he he had the apartment above. Um, And anyway, the whole thing didn't happen. I don't think I even got paid, but but I'd I'd done this thing and I'd enjoy. I did little, little sculptures. I was a very good model maker from one thing I did uh, take away from architecture. I was very good at
0: geometry. (laughs) I was very good at making models. Do you still have that model? No, no. no. Do you no. collect your models? Some. some. I, su- I suppose, actually, if you did collect all the models uh, that no you've really. ever done.
1: I give everything now to the Victorian Performing Arts Museum. Right. And they're terrific. And I, I literally give them, but so much stuff has been thrown away and stuff. So that was um, my first thing. And then, so Jim kept coming back and talking about, he'd been asked to take over, to, to become Robin Lovejoy's assistant at the Old Totem. And I was saying, Jim, what why would you want to do that? And I think I talked him out of it. And that's why Richard Warrett came.
0: Because uh-huh. Richard
1: Richard was Richard was in London working out at um, that East fifteen or something. That, that that's right. Yep. That weirdo place. And um and he came back to to fill the spot that Jim was was almost going to take until this smart ass talked him out of it out of doing it, saying that you can, there's many more things to do rather than just go
0: into Well, he was attracted to having his own box of toys, I guess, and, and yeah. his own theatre company. And yeah. <laughs> but Robin wasn't
1: about to, to walk away. No, no, no. Not so, for a very, very long time, mm-hmm. as Richard found out, and that's why they went off and formed Nimrod. But, um, the, but it, so then he said, oh, look, um, the company is going to form, they're going to form the first ever acting company and they want me to do the first play and I'm going to do um, As You Like It. And I said, what's that? And he said, "What's oh, it's a Shakespeare. And I thought, oh God, could it get any worse? <laughs> and he said, well, why don't you read it? So I read this thing and I said, well, Jim, I can see a way of putting this on, on the stage, but seen through the eyes of, of a child where everything is like colouring in books and all the props are toys. And so it's all, and that's what we did. So we did this production, which, um, and I made a model of that and 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 enjoyed doing that. And then people actually built it, you know, big, this big thing was there. And we we, we did the um, we did the production and, and it was, and I just thought, well, that's, gee, I've done that. Now, that's terrific. I wonder what I'll do next. You know, there was, I had no intention whatsoever of, going any further with
0: that the design was a, a large present it was a with box it was a box
1: with a ribbon with a ribbon, with a big big ribbon and a big bow and so the outside was painted Magritte you know clouds and stuff and um, it opened to be a fierce white box even with a light up floor which when I showed all this to the production manager and he'd say what do you want that for well, you know, and I'd explain why and why, are you, why are you using, why do you want it made of metal? And I said, well, isn't that what you make think Oh, no, no, we used, we used you know, timber and canvas and stuff. And I said, well, perhaps we should think about different ways of doing it. Don't you think? And then because I had the box and the way it all opened out, he said, it's completely impractical. I can't be done. And I said, well, uh, hang on, what if we did it like this? And I knew how to do it. This things. is your architecture. This is my architecture yeah. and some engineering stuff and certainly geometry. And I know about, you know, I know about forces and which way, you know, how, and how to resolve all that. And by the end of it, he was a great fan of mine. And I could do no wrong. So... It was
0: had you had much exposure to Shakespeare never, up until then? None. You didn't study at school? No. no? Oh, I avoided
1: that. Right. The, the only thing I had was in one English class. We'd... we'd, we'd were reading um, the Crucible, and I remember the line "I spy a poppet," and I did that in Edna Everidge voice, and the classroom went crazy, and the um, teacher threw his copy of the play at me <laughs> and stormed out of the room. So that was my, that was my theatre. And then, were um, you a
0: good student, or, or the class clown?
1: No, I was I was a bit on the. I went to Applecross High, which I, apparently is now the biggest kind of art, arty school in um, in Perth, and and like I, we were the first first years, the first second, and the whole thing grew around us. So, I suppose I was, I was very good at physics and and technical drawing and that kind of thing. But um,
0: so you're born in WA?
1: No, I was born here. My father's a bank manager. Oh, so I guess he was stationed over to, Well, we went to a little country town, then we went to Perth. Then I came back here and went to, because I started off doing architecture at a tech college. There was no university in in Western Australia at that time. No course for architecture. So I came back to live in Sydney and went to New South Wales.
0: Can I ask you about a newspaper article I came across recently (coughs) from uh, the Sunday Mirror in 1966? And the headline says, Nude Dancer in Church Mm Theatre, Sydney Shock. Yep. Did you have anything to do with that? Yeah, that was, uh, (laughs) that was, I was at the architect school, I
1: was, um, it was was really strange. In my first year, which I had to do part-time to sort of catch up to the, well, you know, different subjects and stuff, I worked for an architect in an architect's office called Donald Crone. Um, Don Chrome was the man who went on to design um, Center point and so he he had an office mainly of of dropouts because you know, didn't have to pay him as much and he only had a couple of of proper architects you know? and i I was I would I would cut you know make get the sandwiches um, and sometimes I get little tiny drawings to do and um, stuff. But it, it, through that, I learnt pretty much that I don't think this is what I really want to do. Because Donald Crone would, would always have a little glass of whiskey, and he'd walk around and he'd go, oh, that's really good, that's great, that's the way. You know, it was that sort of thing. <laughs> and me thinking, is this really what is this what architecture is about? Um, anyway, so then then I went um, full time. Second year, and I was a really, good, a really, really good student, and I was very keen because I thought, well, I'll, I'll do it, but I won't be like Donald Trump wandering around with a glass of whiskey. I'll do it. Another, there'll be another way of doing it. Um, and then a friend, good friend of mine, um, their parents had gotten that book called *The Candy-Colored Tangerine Streamline Flake Baby* by Tom Wolfe which I read and it was all about people called, you know, Andy Warhol and all this. And I thought, who are, who are all these people? And then, then I started to find out about who they were in little tiny black and white images of what was called pop art. And I thought that's,
0: that's, what you wanted. that's,
1: that's me. So I started doing all my work at uni in fluorescent colours. And I designed buildings that were made of mirrors so you wouldn't see anything. And I, you know, I'd, my perspective would be a line, you know, with the sky. And they said, where's the building? What's well, there? But you can't see it. <laughs> <laughs> so I became the real fucking smart ass, you know, <laughs> long, all the long hair. And that was but but it was like. I thought we can change the world, and this is how we can do it, and 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 it'll be, it will be. And then Marshall McLuhan came out with all of his, you know, the medium is the, the message, or the massage, whatever it was called, and understanding media. Remember that? Did you ever read those books? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, f- and and my life completely, completely changed, um, and but I became the. Um, I was the activities director of the of the architecture faculty, so my job was to put on the review and to do the the ball. So, over big at the annual events, yeah, over at Sydney Uni, Graham Bond was doing his stuff, and it was terrific. But when I saw it, I thought, well, just a lot of jokes. I, I want to do something that's much more environmental, and that's sort of a happening. And so we put together this thing at the Wayside Chapel and it was based on the painting um, of James Rosewood's, um collage called Just What Is It That Makes Today's Modern Home So no, Home So Modern, So Appealing. And there was an image with weightlifters and a stripper and all sorts of things. So we put that on stage. And it was, it was just mayhem, I mean, basically. And we had Rolling Stones playing and films. And I made a movie of a of a parking meter expiring and all that, and it's all in that art in that front. Yeah. Then we got the front page, <laughs> and I think I just described it as a what do I call it? Um, an omni, no, an audiovisual pageant <laughs> of our of our world, because my thing was that w- you didn't really have to do a lot to find things that were fabulous. You just had to look at them in a different way. In other words, you had to take things out of context, put something in a different context, which is really what all, all Andy Warhol, I mean, the fact that he has got the most magnificent eye and, and mind to choose the right thing. A can. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. exactly, yeah. precisely. And, and And I found that devastatingly fantastic. And I thought, well, I want to do that. And so then when Finally, the accidental thing in theatre happened. That's when I thought, "Wow, that's I can do it here." And that's why there was no—I wasn't going to be told by any production manager you can't do. When I did Superstar with a big ge- geometrical thing, and they're all saying, "Oh, we can't build it, we
0: can't do a that. Decahedron. Dodecahedron. Right.
1: Yeah. And I, I got A Dodecahedron, and I—I got an airplane engineer in to to engineer it. And you know, and Harry was just, you know, kind of. There was a guy called Stefan Haag. Stefan had been a Vienna boys choir who got stranded out here during the war. That's an
0: amazing story. I heard that recently. Yeah. The whole choir got stranded yeah. here and then went on to become leaders Various of the things. choirs. And yeah.
1: Well, Stefan went on to work um, for the very early opera companies, but he he'd he'd done productions that were famously. Ridiculous, you know. Where entire choruses would slide down ramps because they were, you know, like Donald <laughs> Trump the other, the <laughs> other day, um, and he really supported all the ideas that I had and kept saying to Harry, "No, no, Harry, this is going to be. If if you can pull it off, it'll be amazing." Um, and so Harry was took that took took the risk that nobody else, no other producer since then, does anything like that. In, in investing in, you know, Jim and myself to do these things. And,
0: and also, about, I mean, you're a kid too. I yeah. mean, you're 24 or something. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I read that you, you said a quote where you said, I see myself as an artist, a pop artist, yeah. and the theatre is where I do my pop art.
1: That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's exactly... And an is college. Art is, is taking things that don't necessarily go together and putting them together in a way that helps you tell the story of whatever you're doing. So, yeah, I... I'm committed to that after after 50 years
0: well 50 years in the biz next yeah, year which yeah. is extraordinary and it's uh, you'd have to be Australia's most prolific set designer I think it's an incredible resume what, what must an effective stage design have in your opinion
1: mm. well I think I think that the it, I mean look it's got to have some excitement I think Um but also, I think I think you've got to create a world in which the story um, that you're um, telling is best told, so that if, um, and that's why I suppose from 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 the time when I would have sneered at you know the, the certain things, now I can can find an, a, an appreciation of them and a way of possibly doing things. I mean, something like, like, say, Faith Healer, I did recently, well, if you look, if you check out the, the, all the other productions of that, normally they're on little realistic, you know, kind of sets, and that'd be terrific, I'm sure. But I felt there was that you'd go much further than that and sort of, you know, do a set that was poetic and do a set that could, could really Make make the the play fly and and um, and, and Judy uh, Davis had said, I think it needs to be somewhere where where it feels you could fall off the edge of the world, and I thought, oh, that's a that's a nice challenge. <laughs> so that was why we had the platform with the with the sky, um, and the simple. It's always very simple, but it it, it effectively makes the play. Zing, you know that's the. Remember, I, I was um, I was in it was in Hollywood, sitting in a in a cafe or whatever they're called, a diner, and this lady, she held a glass up to the to the to the woman behind, and she said, "Honey, Mark coke is lusted zing." Fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> so I like I like I like it to be like like a bottle of coke with zing. That's
0: do the particular theatrical forms offer you a bit more freedom? I think something like absurdism does that allow you to, you know, I saw Crap's last tape recently, which was a very simple but perfect design for that play. with All those files. Well, cards.
1: that was that was just a, uh, um, to me, that was um, I I wanted to work with Gale because Gale, you know, people don't give her any work, it's, uh, and, and it's it's criminal. But um, so. She she just called up and said, would you be interested? There's no money. There's no, This no, that doesn't, doesn't matter. Um, so we just talked about it being a play about memories. And that's when I came up with the idea of the filing cabinet. She wanted boxes and stuff. And I said, well, let's do filing cabinets. And and then we just created that world. And uh, obviously some things give you a better um, um give you a better kind of catapult into what you're doing because of Mm -hmm. the subject matter. But I don't think, I'd like to think I can apply what I believe I need to do to anything. Like for instance West Side Story was was a, um, that to me was a real challenge. Is it on the harbour? On the harbour, yeah. Because it was, um, I mean West Side Story's done a million times and it's always terrific and, and but I wanted it to be something. Really, really different.
0: Well, there was a great sense of space yes. in that design, too. You felt like you could have been in New York. Yeah. yeah.
1: And so, what I did, I just, I, I um, there's always this time when if, if an initial idea doesn't happen, then I just, I don't panic or I just think, oh, well, it'll, it'll well, come might from. not be today. But so I went down to bookshop and I was look, looking through. A book on New York, which I thought oh, I'll get this book, and then there was this this photograph of one of the freeways uh, by a, a Finnish um, photographer. I know that that will there it is. <laughs> but that I had I had then I had the other idea, which was I'd done a a whole thing of the the, the subway cars, but all 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 like in a um, in a um, like a Blue Poles kind of world where everything, the graffiti was art. It wasn't your know, normal graffiti. Just tags or anything yeah. like that? No, well, it was was all all art hmm. art things. And um, when I made it, it was, I made, because I always do a quick, I think I've just got to do this and I make a quick model of it. And um, I thought, oh, it's too busy. <laughs> you won't be able to see the actors. <laughs> won't be able to see them anyone in this set, so I abandoned that. But when I went over to see Francesca in in San Francisco to work on it, she she was doing um, the Ring Cycle at the San Francisco Opera, so she didn't have a lot of time. And I don't think she had a lot of focus. So, th- th- so I, I'd see her in the morning and just throw us a few ideas, and she'd say, oh, I like that, and I like that. So then i just put them together, you know. That. Yeah. Um, but, but it is and you can that's what that's why I keep doing it because you never quite know particularly the things that are really really hard like Traviata how do you how do you do La Traviata in, in a way that you can't do in, in a in a in a box theatre you can't do in, in the Opera House and you can't do in the Met and you can't do in La well and that's where the big chandelier idea came from and I think that it's, it's always that challenge of where you're doing it and what it is you're doing it and how can you, how can you bring something else to it that hasn't been there before.
0: Yes. Well, on the harbour, yes, it's that, that large canvas, but it's not, there's no, it's not constrained in any way. It's no. Just, yeah. It just keeps going on yeah. right up to the yeah. sky. So yeah. I guess, you know, it's the, the great ideas of that chandelier coming in just to sort of give it yeah. a roof. Yeah.
1: And yeah. the yeah. same thing with the West Side Story freeway. That, uh, yeah. the, that, that, did the same thing and I think that's um, yeah that's the, they're the kind of tricks that but I've done that a few times on on stage as well where I've like chinchilla which is the white box that had the black line across that was just lower than the proscenium but it wasn't solid so it it sat you felt it sat just on your eyebrows so it gave you a, 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 an edge to the space but it didn't confine it and restrict it and so sort of those visual tricks are, are fabulous to to try.
0: Um the early designs in the start of your career have become iconic, you know, productions of Jesus Christ Superstar and Rocky Horror Show. And you're working with Jim Sharman on those. What what is it was it about the collaboration with Jim which allowed you both to triumph well, so I, frequently? I,
1: I think I think it's quite I think I taught Jim about pop art and Andy Warhol and well, I mean, you know, in a limited way, and Jim taught me about theatre, so I think that that's where the that's exactly where the crossover was. He 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 was as fascinated by um, this world that I was crazy about. Um, I was less crazy about the world that he <laughs> that he was obsessed with, but we the two blended.
0: Was after uh, Tommy fell through? Is that when? Uh, superstar emerged. no that's when I did
1: uh, that's when I did As you Like It
0: right
1: and, and then Harry said come and ha- Harry um, had
0: seen As You Like It had you yeah,
1: yeah he uh, well, i tell you another little story about Ashley. Like It Jim had always said Now, when we do these things um, people are going to come along and see it and, and some people are going to write you know reviews oh okay uh, <laughs> You don't were, worry you were a complete oh, novice
0: weren't total, you total
1: yeah. total I thought um, the, when we were doing, we were um, when we were doing Hair in Melbourne. Um, Sandra Mackenzie, who, who was the sort of Harry's production kind of person, said, "Oh, Brian, we're going to put a leg up in front of the Supremes." This big disc came out over, over the audience. I thought, "Oh!" So the next day I came in and, and I I said, "Where's the leg? What's this? A big black?" Oh, and I didn't know that was what. It was called a leg. Right. I couldn't have been more naive about those kind of things. But anyway, after, after As You Like It, um, I went up to see Jim and he was living in Reservoir Street. I was by then down in Wormaloo. I had a little little bike and I went up to see him. And I walked in and there was a chair that was kind of through a door a glass door to the, the back little backyard and i said oh jim what's happened and he said slam down the papers. and have you read this and it was a really really bad review of as you like it and i said oh i thought you didn't care about <laughs> i thought you didn't care about things like that but it was um and then i thought oh okay so then,
0: was your design reviewed well or did they get stuck into that?
1: No, they liked that. I think they just didn't think you did that to Shakespeare. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: How could you possibly do it as though it's in a kindergarten you know, or a child's world? What we did do, which was wonderful, was the box was there. The lights probably went down a bit and then we dragged a huge silk cloth over the audience's head from the back of the auditorium all the way down and then dropped it at the front and by then the box had opened oh wow so it was it was and oh you can imagine all those 60s hairstyles <laughs> clipped by this and, and that was done I, I did it as it was all done in green camouflage a bit like the the warhol camouflages he did 20 years later but it was it was fabulous. And I remember
0: they did something like that at the opening of the Olympics. Yeah, they, that's they, right. They put it down. We had a flag. Yeah, yeah there
1: was a big flag that came. Because I was, I was part of the people. We, we were we from the closing ceremony were put at the very top of the highest stand. I didn't think there were that many rows possible to be, <laughs> but we we had to feed over the flag, over the top of us as it went down. But so that was. Um, so so Harry, um, I think Harry and Jim had had some kind of falling out. I don't know what it was about. That's really, I'm just going to put it over there. Um, and Jim wasn't going to do Hair when it got moved down to Melbourne, which I thought, oh, that's, hmm, oh, okay. And he, he brought out a director called David Taguri.
0: Oh yes, Japanese director from
1: d- Yeah, David had done the English, or had been what? what you know?
0: When? So would this be completely redirected? Would <coughs> if a new no, director's no. coming out? No.
1: No. He he wanted to. He was going to do the Broadway production, right. which had been which he'd been part of, probably as as an assistant in London, and then he'd done the Paris version. But it's the way that it is now. The show is what it is. And if you're the resident director, you just do exactly what was done. So I showed him my design and he said, oh, no, I, I don't want, no, no, I, I want I want the London uh, design. Oh, why? I said, oh, well, because that's what I'm going to be doing. Oh, okay. So I said, look, I think we better talk to Mr. Miller about this. Harry. And Harry came in. I said, look, Harry. Um, David." is very keen not to have my design which i'm completely fine with um he wants to do the show that was done in london so i'll i'll send you the name of a good draftsman who can dave will tell him what he wants and he'll he'll draw it up and and i'll just go so
0: i took that thing and went away you'd have a different attitude now wouldn't you not at all no
1: no and then um so then i got a call from jim oh can you come the next day or whatever was it? come up so I went up to Jim's house again and there was the model the hair model sitting on his coffee table and I said oh what's happened he said oh I'm 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 doing it David's gone off to Japan <laughs> 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 No, I, I when when Cats came to Australia I, I was asked to to be the um, resident resident kind of designer I said sure but I'm, I'll be redesigning it Oh, well, no. Well, then get someone. I'll, I'll give the name of someone. And I did. Right. No, no, I'm, I'm not interested in that at all. Yeah. Um, I, I think, but see, back then when, when we did Hair and when we did Superstar, Harry didn't have, or maybe Harry just didn't do it. You know, what wasn't going to be doing, what, what was owned by someone else. He was going to try and do his own thing. And, and, of course, Harry could not could not do things in the regular theatres because it had such big fallings out with Williamson's and all the other people. So that's why he did things like in
0: the Metro and... And, and the old cinema. Well,
1: and, and, and the Capitol. The Capitol was a complete dump showing soft porn movies.
0: Right. Um, I read in Harry's biography that um, the Capitol was given a major facelift for Superstar and a coat of paint... Um, all over over the, the, the auditorium, which became known as t- in the Taubmans catalogues as Superstar Star Brown. brown. Yeah. No, that
1: was the front of the building. Right. It was um, the I think um, it's weird the 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 color of this the, was kind of similar to this kind of earthy color. Yep. So this the, the floor was remember. no the, the, the chocolatey all right, yep. brown. Um, and what what it surrounded was a lot of rope. It was all dyed brown, so that because because that theatre only had 20 feet of depth. Now it's, you know, they, they've taken extent a street yeah. and extended the, but it was so narrow um, that I had to do something which was like a trick. So the the rope was about this far from the the black, and it just gave enough to the eye to make it seem like there was space beyond it. Um, so that was the colour. And Harry had his office, I was on George Street, and you could see the theatre out of his window. And I remember going down there and I said, Harry, what are they doing? And that's when they were painting at the Brown. <laughs> I said, Harry, where did, what's that? And he said, oh, that's the colour we're going to paint the
0: theatre. You got a, ch- a cheap job, job lost. Well,
1: when, when, funnily enough, when we went to do Superstar at the Palace in, in London, Palace Theatre in London, the owner of the theatre, had gotten all of the paint from one of the um, uh, railway companies, which was, luckily it was a deep burgundy red, and the ent- everything was painted in this red. It was crazy. Yeah, so I think well, I, Harry probably got it for, being Harry, probably got it for nothing. But, um,
0: how, how do you go about designing the aesthetic for something like Superstar? You know, you've got the, those biblical references, and it's, it's a, uh, the well, rock genre,
1: and yeah. Well, I think that to me, it had to be abstract. I mean, all these productions that are being done now that are set, you know, in the, you know, parks and stuff. I just think what, what, what? It's it's a Bible story. It's a fantasy. It's a. It has to be abstract. It has to take you somewhere. Into the heart of someone, but not—you know—they're not hippies or or protesters or that, any of that kind of thing. And I was—I um, was with Sandra Mackenzie, and we might have been in Melbourne doing hairstyle or something. And I saw a, a dodecahedron in a in a um, tobacconist shop, which was one of those calendars, because there's twelve. And I yep. went and bought, and I said, "That's—I'm gonna do this for." For superstar, and she's what? This is going to be the set for superstar. It looks like twelve sides, <laughs> <laughs> and it's the only regular solid that can has an equator, so you can actually cut it in the centre across like that. Um, I mean, it's jagged, but but um, no other regular solid has that. Um, it's got the twelve, which is you know, go kind of goes with the with the idea of um the apostles. The apostles. And what the set was, it w- so that that's the symbol of glory is a sphere, and and the the regular solids approach a sphere um, by you know the way that they're delineated, so that that's that's glory. The power was sim- symbolised by a shaft, which was the the giant perspex um, elevator lift, and the um, the ramps that went between them were, were in the configuration of a cross, so that was the. It was kind of a, a sculpture of what <laughs> religion's all about, to me, anyway. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> And the most beautiful piece of music in Superstar is the John, nineteen forty-one, which is the only thing I read, and that's Golgotha, the, the 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 hill of the skulls where he was he was executed. But we had a lot of skulls. But um, yeah, I just think the music it needed to be a rock and roll show but not a rock and roll show like you'd go and see the easy beats where you could go and see you know billy thorpe or something it had to be for this particular show and we'd found trevor and we'd found john uh, in pubs oh, really? singing, yeah we went, bands, we went yeah. to pubs and um we met we had
0: they ever thought of careers no. in the theater right? well
1: um um uh, John was in a band I think we saw him at a pub in Out Kenzo kind of way uh, and Tra- Trevor came out with Sounds Incorporated with the, with the Beatles I saw the Beatles right? Right. And saw Sounds Incorporated uh, and he was one of them so he stayed um, and then auditioned and had the most fabulous voice and Marsha didn't come till to, to later to Melbourne and Reg didn't come until later as well but um, no, it was a really exciting, uh, be- because it was such a challenge, um, and I had a lot of opposition from from the technical, usual uh, theatre kind of mechs and stuff. But Stefan Haag w- w- was adamant that this was going to happen. and. Um, and I'd got this aeroplane engineer in to do the engineering for the for the dedicated. and it was wonderful. And it was uh, then on the first night, um, the smoke machine uh, wouldn't stop. So, so just at the point when the gauze it was a gauze it was revolving, the gauze went up and was about to open, on that you know da da da, Jesus Christ superstar music. Um, Myself and Jim and Harry all ran to the back of the capitol because I think we thought it was fucked. It wasn't, wasn't going to happen. And then when it opened, but it was like totally in mist, in, in a fog, <coughs> um, and the crowd went crazy. And then we went back and it was, that was good. Then act 2 was about to start, and there was the last supper table, which lit up. So the apostles were there, the Last Supper table flew in, and sat there and glowed nicely and lit them up, and nothing happened and nothing happened. And then somebody turned up the the sound in the in the pit, and they weren't in the pit, and you could hear them talking about what you know what they had, a cup of tea and this kind of thing. And then suddenly, because we had a, a perspex front to the to the pit, which was covered you saw them all running, running in, in. <laughs> <laughs> and then it um, then, then it started well that was uh, that was a
0: pretty crazy night was Lloyd Webber on the ground at that stage
1: no they weren't there. they what had happened was um the production Tom O'Horgan, who'd done the original hair had done a production in New York that they hated and so they were <coughs> looking for a production for London because they already had the theatre booked and we we did a um, before the stage show we we did a um, concert version at the Adelaide Festival, in the tennis courts. Um, which just, it just was it's just a big silver stage with a a big shaft with the the angels, on the top that all lit up and stuff. And um, they preferred that that they liked that and they didn't like our production. They thought it was too. They thought it was. It was too much, um, and so Jim was asked to do it, and he said he wanted me to come and do it as well, and so we just t- decided to do kind of a Brechtian production in London. In London, yeah. had a light up floor, where would you never had been? But so I don't know these things. I don't know that you've never done a disco floor before in 1972, <laughs> um, and 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 it was a big metal metal set and. and uh, had elevate, and that the the elevators, that, which were great big piston things, are still in the Palace Theatre, and you can't take them out because they're, you know, what, what they're um, part of the theatre now. So there, every, heritage, heritage. One, every right? show that goes in there, they have to find a place to put these, because we we did Priscilla there. Right. they had to do all these fucking great big. <laughs>
0: That, that you'd put there originally. I'd put there
1: originally, <laughs> um, and it uh, so it it had a it had a signboard that told you where you were. You know, was it was the Last Supper. The Last Supper, and there were just three riser mics at the front of the stage, and they just walked down the front and do it like a, a concert, and it was was pretty good. I mean, Andrew and Tim said so they didn't like it, but um, it ran for eight years and was the most successful production ever. I mean, that's the thing that people don't kind of recognize about that production. No other production ran that long or been that successful. And that was, um, we did that, you know. Mm. So it was a kind of, we took elements from, they just didn't want the Dodecahedron and stuff. They just thought that they, I didn't think they got it. Right. I didn't right. think they quite got got what? But to an audience watching it and the way that John played it, the way that Trevor played it, it was astounding. You never seen and, and it was cheap to go and people would say oh let's go and see Superstar again you can't do that anymore.
0: no no because no,
1: Anne Church Brown told me that she said that she she um, her friends would say oh let's go and see Superstar it was five dollars or something you know to not in the best seats but you still have the rock and roll thing going on
0: theatre has become so prohibitive now hasn't yeah. it really to sort of it's yeah. so expensive to stage those big commercial musicals yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. I mean I think I think that um like I mean, Gary McQuinn gave us a lot of freedoms on Priscilla, which was, uh, and I think I don't think it made its money back because it was a very very expensive um, show. But um, we had we had the kind of creative freedom, which was, it's so important not to be told, you know, and yeah. I. Mean, I, I even though we did work with in London with, with Andrew's company Andrew Weber's company, they never there was never any interference never any yeah. feeling that they'd say oh no you can't do that there was a little bit of that in New York but um with Superstar no no, no we, with, with um, uh, Priscilla. Priscilla right just a little bit because that they because Simon doesn't I mean I've got a Tony Award and, 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 a, and a name so I'm okay you know but Simon is unknown, yeah, which is it's so ridiculous, um, but and they felt they needed he needed to have a shadow of a director who oh, really? who um and it was for investors,
0: and Jerry Mitchell went in
1: didn't he? Jerry Mitchell yeah, came yeah. in. And, and a lot of what Jerry Mitchell wanted to do was just crap, yeah. just absolute crap, and Simon was rightly furious, mm. and then in came Bette Midler, swan His producer. D oh well, she was she came in and gave notes a couple of you know It's they're not they're nothing they're just there because their name makes you think oh Bette Midler Jerry you know um, no he wanted I think he started talking to me about something he thought we should have an AS Rock with steps and things and I just thought you're a fucking idiot
0: <laughs> <laughs> what did you, you think of the film of Superstar
1: I didn't mind it yeah uh, I didn't mind it because it was an idea, wasn't it? You know, a yeah. group of people getting a bus and going oh, Well, the <laughs> Interesting how that, yeah, is that, is that, that comes way. back. Um, I like. I didn't mind the film of hair. I like that. Um, I'd love to have been involved in that, those things. I'd Love to have done those. Well, was there
0: ever any talk that you? No, no, no. no. I think
1: we were. I think we were like the black swans of the, of the, of the theatre world at that point, at that time where we were, you know, it was, a, we weren't meant to be there, but we were. And, and, um, that's how we've all, I've always felt about, about that yeah. part of, the, but then with
0: Rocky Horror, that was ours. And that was. Rocky Horror, what an extraordinary trip that was, mm. has been, continues to be. Are you associated with the show no. anymore? No.
1: no. I was axed by Richard O'Brien. Um, myself and Jim were
0: cut out of all that because the productions I've seen lately are just so pristine and shiny and wrong
1: well I think what's happened is I mean back at the very very beginning um, was say it was an interesting I mean it was an interesting period because I think for us 1975 when we did Rocky Horror on Broadway was when we hit the brick wall. It was the end of that really fabulous, creative, um, period for all of us. Uh, I mean, we obviously went on to do other things, but I don't think anything quite as as fabulous as as well what Jim and I did with Hair, Superstar, and Rocky. No one's done stuff like that, and in New York because they hated it um, and I think it had lost a little bit of its, its oomph. I think, I think everyone was a little bit too knowing about it then.
0: Was it done in a theatre in New York or a cinema?
1: Well it was done in, well that was the thing, it was done, it was done in the Belasco right. and the Belasco was um, the theatre designed by Tiffany and it was completely derelict which was great. Um, but Lou Adler, who produced it in Los Angeles in the Roxy, which was a club with you know tables and chairs, he did the same thing in new york He, he made the um, the um, stalls uh, in flattened it and put all these tables in and people were sell, you know ordering hamburgers and things and New York hated that they didn 't want to go to the, they don't want to go to the theater like that yeah. and so I think that that was part of the the mistake um and it came there was a lot of hype about it because it had been it had been so fabulous in la in the club because it was in a club um even though we turned it into a, a derelict cinema again which was, was the idea we'd been using but um no it all it all kind of fell apart in the 80s for us anyway for me anyway for as part of that but still what we created and the film is forever, which is which is good, because Richard O'Brien now claims everything about the show, and he had he had the original idea. He had a couple of pages of that. I mean, Jim Jim created the Rocky Horror Show. Yeah, the, the uh, Richard created a thing called They Came from Denton High, which was um, on on the two pages that that that. that you know and the story resolves itself was the end there was no time warp there was no none of the beginning none of that kind of stuff all of the theatricality and all of that magic was brought to us brought to it by jim and 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 me and sue the costume designer i mean that was um and that's not that's not talking it up it up that's what we did i mean we we were doing it th- we'd done superstar and it was Working for Stigwood and those people it's kind of not fun. Um, the costume designer was fired, the Mary Magdalene was fired. I mean, there was a lot of you know and it wasn't like there was no discussion that's gone and i I think we felt that it could happen to us yeah so jim was was sort of keen to just do something more relaxed um and so that the, the we, we did the removalists at the Royal Court, uh, and then we st- then we we Jim had we'd found this Richard Rome was in Superstar. Uh, he'd been in Hair, not our Hair, but Hair in, in London, and he he was in the chorus. But he he was the understudy to Herod, and when he did his when he did his kind of dress rehearsal, um, Andrew hated it. So he had that taken away from him. So he, he he left the show, I think with a big chip on his shoulder, this fucking Andrew, and, and, and he went home and got stoned and was gonna write this musical. But, And so when we did we did The Unseen Hand, the same ship to play at the theatre upstairs, the Royal Court, and Jim said, he felt, you know, like not that good about what had happened. You know, Richard being the understudy, had it taken away from him and left the show, I think he got paid out. I don't think it was.
0: And Jim had cast him as the understudy. I yeah, think. yeah,
1: yeah, that's right. And um, we had all these Polaroids, and he said, "What, what, what, what about Richard for Willie the Space Freak?" Yeah, what, I mean, if I'd said, "No, no, you can do better than that," we would, would never have happened. Wow! And uh, this isn't this is the way things were. Yeah. What do you think about that? Oh, that'd be. Uh, don't you reckon we could do something better than that? Okay, well, what will that be? You know, it wasn't, was never digging in or was always moving forward. And so he came in and his language, his dialogue was, he came in halfway through the show and his language was, his dialogue was what had gone before backwards. In other words, which is gibberish. And he was a weirdo looking guy and we'd made him look a bit spacey. And um, he started. At the top of the show, as the audience came up, the Richard Hartley, the musical director, would sit at the piano and they'd sing doo-wop songs, you know, Duke of Earl and those kind of things. And Richard started singing these songs he would written. And then Jim got together with him and they recorded, on a little tape recorder, the original songs, all that sounded sound the same. Kind of slightly country, Richard on guitar doing all the songs. And Richard uh, Jim took that to the Royal Court and to this man called Michael White, who was the producer.
0: Who's Australian also, isn't he? No, no, no
1: Michael. Is he? Oh, Michael no, White? Now? No. no but, but jumping right back to um, Hare in Melbourne, Harry's girlfriend was Lyndall Hobbs. Right. And come the time that we were doing Rocky Horror, Lyndall was Michael White's girlfriend.
0: That's the connection, yeah. <laughs> so it was quite...
1: Amazing. Yeah. Serendipitous and, and 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 it was Lyndall and us that got Michael to put Barry on Humphreys. Without us berating, you know, telling Michael, what's this crap you doing, Michael? You've got to put 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 Dame Edna on, chill. will and that's how it happened. Right. But um with so um, he they said that they the royal court and Michael gave a thousand pounds, so it was two thousand pounds was the budget, so we had no money, which is good because we had to be inventive. I, I had this idea of a derelict something, and then we, Jim and I went to see, I think we went to see Cabaret the Movie at some little flea pit cinema off the West End. And at the time, remember they used to have shorts and things, or they'd have ads and the curtains would close and yep. the curtains would open clothes and this girl this this girl selling ice creams walked, walked down and then she turned around and she was you know a bit tacky and this little light came on and kind of half missed her and, and I just nudged him and said there it is that's the start of the show and that's what we did and they still do it yeah although I I'd never get any
0: credit for that whatsoever science but, fiction double feature yeah
1: mm. and so the, so the idea of the derelict because in, in London at the time, whenever buildings were being renovated or knocked down, there'd always be a nice sign saying, we regret any, any inconvenience caused during a demolition or renovation or whatever. So we said, had, we had a placard on the stage saying, we regret any inconvenience caused during demolition. An ultra-modern two-screen <laughs> cinema complex will open soon. Uh, and That was taken away and the, the show started. But on the first night of Rocky Horror was downstairs um, in the Royal Court the play The Sea was on with Coral Brown.
0: (laughs) Coral fucking Brown.
1: Coral fucking Brown. And she was (laughs) fabulous in it. But Coral's husband Vincent Price Price, had been invited to the first night. Now there's a secret way of getting from the Royal Court up to the theatre upstairs from because we, we started at 11 o'clock, late, late night. So I was just near this one little exit, and I heard these voices, like, oh, I'm sure it's this way. Oh, no, it's not. And it was Vincent Price and Coral Brown. And I said, oh, look come, look, come this way. I'll be your personal, usher. I'll get you a good seat. And I went and pushed people out of these seats and, and sat them down. And at the end of the show, she came over and she said, oh, we love that so much. And we were literally standing by this curtain, the black curtain, and in there was the dressing room. And I said, "Would you mind telling that to the to the cast?" So I opened up the curtain, and Vincent Price walked in and said how much he liked the show. It was it was fabulous. Fantastic.
0: <laughs> where where did you find the cast? Because you got Tim Curry. Well, it wasn't Tim originally. Tim didn't do originally. No, right? it
1: was a guy called um, Jonathan. What was his name? Uh,
0: Jonathan. I'm sorry, I can't remember his name. The Rocky Horror fans are screaming at us now. I know,
1: I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) Jonathan, but I'll I'll remember it one day. Um, And he he did all, so he was involved in all the early prep work. It was he that I talked to about a catwalk, you know, with lights and stuff. Um, And then I think Richard might have, Timmy had been in The Maid's, which was a show. Oh. Uh, Glasgow, the Glasgow Cits was C- Citizens Theatre was was the, the big concepty kind of theatre, and, and if you if you were, done stuff there, oh you could probably do anything, and. At the time I was working on, Antony and Cleopatra with, Tony Richardson, um, in a tent, over where the old where The, the theatre was originally. With Vanessa Redgrave and Maria Bjornsson was doing the costumes for this thing and Jim said oh you must talk to Maria about whether she'd want to do costumes for because she'd been a big star at the Glasgow since whether she'd want to do the costumes for Rocky so I showed it. we had by then we had a little minimal script and I gave it to her and she read it and said look I'm, I'm sorry I don't do drag shows <laughs> <laughs> but I have a friend who will, and that was Sue, Sue Blaine. So that's how that happened. And um, I'll tell you a little story about Vanessa, when, when years later, I was in Houston, uh, I was going to do a production of uh, Jekyll and Hyde, and I'd been to see the plan Broadway and the director ran the Houston theatre, whatever it's called. and um, the There was this sort of complex of theatres and there was this sort of cafe where everybody congregated and the boys from Tap Dogs were there and I, and I knew them because I'd done something with Dean Perry and uh, was chatting away with them. And then Vanessa came in because she was there, her, her brother Callum, no. Corrin. Corrin, had done a play in the theatre, in, in the other theatre, the Tap running run in the commercial theatre. And I said, oh, there's, I know Vanessa. And, oh, yeah, sure, you yeah, sure. <laughs> So I had to go over and, and- Remind her. And I went over and I said, oh, hi Vanessa. And you know what she did? She got up, got up off her chair, sat me down, and then she sat on my lap and she started asking all these questions. How's that person? How's that? Did you do that? And it was just so remarkable wow. that she remembered everything, everything she could ever know about me and more. And this is red <laughs> Reddrain. So I didn't, I didn't think that would happen. I thought she might have said, Oh, nice to see you. Yeah. And, and i walk away.
0: <laughs> Amazing. So it proved to, ta- to be a, a takeoff success, so much so that the film was a natural inevitability. Rocky. Yeah. Um,
1: oh, look, it was just enormous. What happened? We, after we'd done the little season at the Royal Court, it moved, actually moved to a derelict cinema that was about to be torn down.
0: Was that your idea? No, well, that
1: was just what we had to do. Right. And and it was, um, up Kings Road and it was called, I forget what it's called, because we, we moved to another one after that, up Kings Road, where it stayed for eight years or something. but. Um, in the first one, on the, the day after it opened, we all came out to do Thrippany Opera at the Opera House. Oh, right. So, Jim, myself and Richard Hartley.
0: With and, Kate Fitzpatrick in there. Yeah, it. and Kate was yeah. with us then, I right. think,
1: on the on the flight back. And Arthur, Arthur was with us too.
0: Um, Arthur so, Dignam.
1: Arthur Dignam. Yeah. So, we, we'd all been to the first night of this, this Rocky Horror having moved up the road. And then we came out to do that so or we just heard about the success it was having from uh, we'd, we'd phone Michael or we'd phone someone and to, and back then you know you had to go to a phone booth and put all the money in it it was so funny but but we just missed out on that big the big kick of success that it, it had had um, so when we went back um, and then moved it again and then we then we did then the film. Lou, Oh, it was actually Lou Adler's girlfriend, who was that? She was some Swedish or she'd seen the show and took Lou to see it, Lou Adler, the American producer. And he immediately wanted to do it at the Roxy, the club he owned in uh, LA. Um, and then the talk was of the film. And I think Jim was, Jim was told, you can do the big budget production with Mick Jagger and none of your creatives or you can do the no-budget show with all those people and Tim, Tim Curry. And that's what we did. Wow. And the story of that was, we when we f- they first wrote the screenplay, Jim and, and uh, Richard, I read it and I, I didn't like it. And I said, I don't want to do, do it. And I thought, as I said, oh God, what have I just done? And rather than say, okay, we'll get someone else, Jim said, well, what don't you like about it? So I told him. Um, and we decided that we, we would find a way to do it, but it wasn't in that script. And we both agreed to that, because I think he knew there was another way of doing it. I didn't know what it was. But um, we went out to Bray Studios, which was where a lot of the Hammer horror films had been made. And I remember I, I asked if, um, was there any a store of the Hammer horror stuff? And they said, oh yeah, round the back. I expected a huge, and there was a little tiny lean to shed with a few little glass, you know, chemical things. And that was all. And as we were leaving, the, the, the guy who was showing us around said, do you want to see the old house? And we said, what old house is that? And he said, oh, the one used in all the films. And we looked at each other and I, oh, yeah, why not? So we went across this paddock. It was kind of wet and stuff. And we had gumboots on. We walked across this paddock and there was this house. Now this house had, it had a preservation order, but the owners had taken out all of the lead in the roof, so the entire house had been completely damaged by the water coming in. And it. the look of it was, and I said, here it is, <laughs> this is it. I guess and, it smelt as well. Oh, it was, it was, unbel- you know, the stink of yeah, that musky, upholstery yeah. and wallpaper. But it was perfect, perfect for horror. Right. <laughs> right. Fabulous. Yeah. And so what we we built the sets that we built in the studio just across this paddock, All the detail came from the house because it had a little ballroom, but it was tiny. So everything was done, and the the studio happened to have a tank because that film. Oh, there's a couple of very famous British war films were made in that in that tank the, the cruel sea was made there, things like that so um yeah we just got so lucky and I put the dome on top and curated the laboratory and all that kind of thing and it was um, what I was thrilled about it was that we didn't it wasn't like any other science fiction film it was kind of ordinary but it, but it was the juxtaposition of things that made it extraordinary and that's exactly kind of my philosophy to to this and but anyway when it first came out people hated it absolutely hated it and um, I was I was in New York doing uh, Barry's first show which was another total disaster and someone said to me oh have you 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 worked on that film that that Rocky Horror thing yeah oh they show at midnight down at the Waverley you know the Waverleys the, the cinema mentioned in Hair and I thought, oh yeah, that's great. Uh, we should go and see it. Uh, so I went down and I went in and I, I, it was on because I'd gone down after the show. And I said, oh, I'm connected to the film. And oh, you're sure you are. But I had my passport with me. So I said, well, this is me and I've worked on the movie. So they took me in and I came out in a complete state of shock after what I'd seen. <laughs> All of the, the the rice and the toast and the, the water, the audience participation, everything, yeah. and the whole film. That if you watch it without that, seems a little bit maybe long, and the gaps are a little bit. Well, everything was completely filled in with all these really witty, smart, kind of cracks and things, and, and was fabulous. And it was a, like the audience were part of the movie, and I'd never ever seen anything like that before ever. Wow. And even the sing-along things—you're not part of it. You sing with them. And I did in subsequent years see it all over the America, um, and they all did really fabulous little special things. There
0: was well, I guess it appeals to that sensibility you have with that architectural review, yeah, of that site-specific exactly. audience yeah. immersion. Yeah. But
1: also, it the way and this was the cleverness of what Jim did. The film was about outsiders. All of those guests at the, at the birth of Rocky, you know, were the little ones, fat ones, and tall ones. And every kid on the block, yeah. they they're all, relate to that. They relate to that, and they can go and get. And it, it did a fabulous thing for, for
0: for kids. And a film that also provided a bit of a sexual awakening for a lot of those oh, yes, kids. Yes, indeed. As well. There yeah. was all that, yeah.
1: Although I don't, I don't think. I think we were all very aware of that but we but we weren't we weren't pushing that nor were we afraid of it. I mean because you could have been quite you know put off I mean audiences might have been put off at that time back in 73 when we did the show but no we we just did it in the brave way that we we needed to.
0: Did Shock Treatment have a stage production or did that go no. straight to film?
1: Well Shock Treatment was um so that's when I went on. I went all over America looking for Denton. And I settled on Wichita, Kansas. Because in Wichita, Kansas, when I arrived there, in the hotel I was staying in, there was a Shriners Convention um, and there was a Tupperware Convention. And I've never <laughs> talked about things that don't belong together. Um, in the Tupperware Convention, the, the song, which we put in Betty Blockbuster, if you saw that, the... Tupperware yep, We yep. put that in that. And where you sing the song and you tap yourself for the Tupperware. And then all the Shriners with their with the, <laughs> the weirdest, weirdest place. And I learned that in America, people just convene for any reason to get together since the days of the Old West where they'd all come into town and get together for one reason or another. And that's what all these conventions are about. And what's Rocky Horror about? A convention. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, then, so they wrote the screenplay, and well, what happened? Richard and I think Richard probably before Jim got involved, wrote a direct sequel, where Doctor Scott was out at the crater, and Doctor Scott had found some this thing called DNA, <laughs> of Rocky uh, and Frankenfurter. And he was bringing a frankenfurter back to life. And it was nine months after the night. Janet was about to have the child. So whether the child was Frank's or Brad's was unclear. And that's what the movie was about. But Timmy turned it down flat. And we realised we couldn't. You you couldn't replace that Frank Tim Curry. You couldn't. So it then became... Uh, a different kind of story, which we were, we were going to actually finally do it in Texas, because Texas in Dallas is a right to work state. That means that the unions can't dictate, they can't say, oh, you'll have your own driver and you can't go home with him in the car, because you've both got your own driver and all those rules that apply in Hollywood. And I went over there and it's a fabulous place because every, every suburb's different from a different kind of... Um, you know, European kind of line, and there'd be little, um, little kind of gingerbread houses, and then there'd be different kind of stars. So we could have done it there. And then the there was an actor strike, and we all got fired. Everything closed down. You know, actor strike in Hollywood. So we, Sue and I, got onto a Braniff, the airline, the big color, they're all different colors. We got onto an orange Braniff and t- came home. And the whole thing was abandoned. Then, then Jim thought he thought, well, maybe we should do a stage. Let's let's stage it for a week, film it, and put it out on the you know the new thing called VHS tapes. Let's
0: (laughs) (laughs) they replaced Beta, did they? No, they
1: weren't. They they were just arriving. Starting that? Um, Oh, what a great idea! And then I said, look, if we set the whole thing in a TV, if we create a microcosm of Denton, so that the things that are locations or places become shows or um, television news or Good Morning, all, all the shows that I loved. I couldn't wait to go to America and watch Good Morning America and all those shows. And um, and so that's what we did. And, and the, the songs that were all written for the direct sequel that's why songs like breaking out well that's that's actually about frank breaking out from you know once he's born so they're all adapted to this new version um but i just don't i think the idea was better than than the than the actual content that we had yeah i think the idea of setting something in a in a microcosm where the entire world is represented as as television shows and because i always thought in, there was a wonderful show in in england called crossroads which which was in a motel and i used to think gee imagine if you checked into this motel and you went into your room and there'd only be two walls you know because it's a set yeah wouldn't it be fabulous to do st- i always thought it'd be wonderful to do something in sets in things that weren't real and had really not a lot of pretend because they wobble and stuff
0: well, that was the wonderful invention
1: of the Truman Show. That's, that's right. right, yeah. 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 Well, that's, that's the closest, I think, to, to what that idea being done really beautifully. Yeah. And we didn't do it. We, we, ours was way before the Truman Show, but but we just didn't quite get it right. And even though I think it's a great start, I don't think it gets anywhere as it goes along. And there have there, been attempts at, at stage shows, but I just don't think it's... I, don't, I personally don't think it's the right thing to do.
0: Join me next time for the companion episode of Stages Conversation with Brian Thompson. We reflect on his time working with Barry Humphreys and Kylie Minogue and learn about the challenge and triumph of staging Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, the musical, around the globe. That'll be episode 141 of the Stages podcast. I look forward to your company. As always, I'm Peter Ayers. Thanks for listening. Keep well, keep warm. I'll catch you next time.